This is another episode of The Message is Moving. And for this episode, we are exploring the generational curse of childhood sexual abuse. With this episode having such a sensitive subject, I had to recruit a friend of mine to have this tough conversation with and to take the steps forward into breaking that curse. My guest tonight is a childhood sexual abuse survivor. But that doesn't define her. She's also a founder and executive director of One Touch Transformation, which is a nonprofit organization that focuses on, sec- on sexual abuse prevention and awareness. She's a certified motivational speaker for the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. She holds a certification for Stewards of Children, Darkness to Light, which is a very thorough training for recognizing signs of child, child abuse. Also part of the Butterfly Effect Mentoring Program, which focuses on teaching adolescent and preteen girls the importance of boundaries, consent while instilling a sense of confidence, self-love, and empowerment. And when it comes to empowerment, my guest represents, ladies and gentlemen, Ardenius Jackson. <laughs> Thanks for having me. All right, so as you can see, a, a lot of credentials, but I felt like it was very, very important to, to bring you on for this important curse, as I call it. I mean, it affects everyone, but particularly, especially in the black households, it is, it's something that's that's still a problem to this day, um, especially in this climate. But in this climate, there are, we have movements like the Me Too movement, it's, it's very pivotal. Um, so what I'm gonna ask you about starting off uh, I'm not going to ask you about details and per se for things that you went through, but more so of like the background things to help others. So my first question is, what gave you what gave you the courage to speak out initially? Well, what gave me the courage was when I finally heard stories from other survivors and mm-hmm. that kind of prompted me to to share mine because it it made me realize that I was not alone. And of course, I wasn't the only one who had been through such a traumatic experience. And just hearing how other stories helped me, I kind of put two and two together saying, well, if their story helped me, then how many other people will I be able to help if just by sharing my story? So I saw the importance of, of survivors sharing their stories. And, you know, that's one of the first things that will free a victim, you know, to start their healing journey just by speaking up and sharing it with someone. Got it. Um, may I ask, how long did it take you to come forward to speak out? Wow. Well, I was silent for 20 years. Um mm. I, at, you know, because it happened when I was around the age of six. And so I didn't say anything at all. And so, you know, there were times when I wanted to say something and I wanted to, you know, try and tell my family, but I just never could bring myself to do it. And so after 
I couldn't do it the first time. You know, I just said, I'm going to leave it alone. I'm not going to bring it up because it's like the longer I waited, I felt like that no one would believe me or they would say or ask the question, like, why did you take so long? So I was trying to avoid all of that. And so I kept silent for 20 years. And it wasn't until like seven years ago, I believe, when I finally Mm. spoke up to my family. Mm. And I think that's important because... You'll hear that you'll hear that a lot from detractors, right? They'll say, Well, if it's mm-hmm. true, why did it wait so long to speak on this? Right, right. And, and I, I think that's yeah. important. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say yes, and a lot of people just don't realize how much you're actually hurting victims from coming forward whenever you ask that question. It's kind of classified with the the whole victim blaming because you just don't know how painful it is and how it is so hard just to just to say those words and to really you know bring it to reality or face reality, saying wow it happened to me or you know this happened to me. And so whenever you hear those remarks like well why did you wait so long? It just it just kind of makes you feel bad. You feel worse. You're like okay at least I am saying something. I mean that's not the issue of why I waited so long. And so. People just have to be very careful the words that they use or whenever you're talking with victims and survivors, because if you've never been in their shoes, then you do not know what's going on in their head and and how they're feeling. Right. I get that. And and that's important for for even as I can speak for for the men. Um, Sometimes we hear stories and we're so caught up in like celebrity stories, entertainment stories. Not knowing that we know, but I think based on how some people grew up, honestly, it was so it was such a taboo subject or one of the things you face is backlash, right? So like you kind of alluded to what you mentioned about victim shaming, because not only do they, will they question, uh, okay, well, why, why now? But even if you were to say something then, depending on your age, they might even say something like, well, like how that person was dressed. Um, there must have been something consensual and that person might have been spiteful and that's why they're saying these things. So things like that makes it so hard for someone to really speak out. And I, I did want to use one example. So the comedian D.L. Hughley, he, had, he actually had like an old interview with Sway in the Morning. He said his youngest daughter had an inappropriate experience with someone that he was cool with. He initially didn't believe her. And he acknowledged that she did, she did not feel protected because he did not believe her and gave her that support at that time. So when you came forward, did you feel like you got the support you needed? Absolutely. Um, my family, I can say they were supportive since day one. Um, even when I just sit back and think about that night when I first talked with them, um, like my dad is a pastor. And so, you know, I, I really was a little nervous about sharing it with him because, you know, I know him as my father and then I know the other side of him as a pastor. But uh, like I said, from day one, everyone was so supportive. Um, I have two older brothers and I'm the only girl, the baby girl. And so 
of course, they felt like they didn't protect me. So not once did any of my, you know, my immediate family put the blame on me or ask me, why didn't I say anything? If anything, they blamed themselves. They, they felt like they weren't there to protect me. So um, it is so important to have, you know, especially that family support, that immediate family support, because I have met so many survivors who does not have that support. I mean, I've heard survivors that with their mom chose the perpetrator over them. Mm-hmm. And it, it just saddens me because the person or the people who you love or who you think are supposed to love you the most, sometimes they're the ones who turn their back on you. And so that's why it's so important to have that support. And I am so grateful that you know I have a family that has shown support. That is great. Because that one example that you mentioned is mm-hmm. is more common than we, we would like to admit, even in these times. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And, 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 and even as you were talking about D.L. Hughley, um, it it pushes that victim further back and it will actually make them not want to even face it anymore. Because, like I said, the people who, lo- who you think love you the most or who's supposed to be there for you, when they don't support you or don't believe you, then you feel like no one will. Because it's like, well, if my own family is not going to believe me, why should I even say anything? Who's going to believe me? And so it is so important just to have that that support. Right. Because I would I would assume that that's when the healing truly starts is speaking out. Right. And then and then once it, it comes together, now you're kind of taking that step forward. So right. for someone who hasn't spoken out yet and maybe they are primed to speak out and they're trying to prepare themselves for those steps after the speaking out and after finally informing their close their loved ones what does healing look like after that i'm sure every instance is different but how does that what like what happens after that like after the awareness after you spread the awareness what happens after that for healing well i can say for myself um I know my journey is different from everyone else's own. No one's journey is the same, but overall, everyone has to trust their own journey or trust the whole process of the journey of healing. Um, For me, once I spoke up and shared it with my family and um, received the support that I need, I immediately went to counseling and therapy. I know people in our community don't like to, you know, talk about mental health, but it is important. It, it It is helpful. And seeking counseling and therapy was one of the biggest helps for me, even though I am, you know, a Christian, uh, Bible believing, grew up with a very strong faith based family. I still chose to go to counseling and therapy. Yes, I received prayer. I still read uh, my Bible, but I still received help for, you know, the mental side and the emotional side, because if you want to have a like a, a complete healing or be healed wholly. So, um Counseling and therapy, very important. There's nothing wrong with it. And so as you continue, um, there's no time frame with your healing. There's no time frame with the whole journey. You just have to trust it from day to day. I can't tell you how long you need to go to counseling or how long you need to go to therapy. Um, For me, I went for a period of time. And then even today, there are still times when I have to call up, you know, my therapist. And so it's it's a battle. 
um, you will have good days, you will have bad days, but what it means to survive, like truly survive and to walk in your healing, it means that you are not allowing your past to dictate who you are or who you are um, destined to become. And so you're not just coping with it, but you're you're surviving and just learning how to continue to to be strengthened while you're, you know, living with what happened. But because just because it happened to you, just because you may have felt broken or you're know, lost or in that dark place, it does not have to define who you are or who you are destined to be. And so healing it is a continual thing. Um, you can continue to say that you're healed, like I, I, that's what I do. But like I said, at the end of the day, you're still going to have those moments. Um, you have to be careful of your triggers, but you continue to learn as you go through your journey what triggers you, um, what you need to stay away from, uh, what do you need to work on? Because it's just something that is continued from day to day, year to year. But it is possible. Healing is possible. And you can like I said, become great. You can do more than just survive. You can thrive and continue to overcome these these daily battles and these struggles. But healing is very much possible. Well said. And you actually addressed what I was going to ask you because especially us being from the, the South and mm-hmm. in the huge Bible Belt community, mm-hmm. I was going to ask if that was a struggle because based on your faith for some people, they're going to just say, hey, just pray it off. Right. And that was, that was you know, just pray it off. You'll be fine. You know, we we all been there in different, right. different scenarios. Pray it off. There ain't nothing but the devil. You know, right. just pray it off. Um, yeah, I mean, there have been times where if I just talk back one time, well, that's the devil and you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But, but we all been, we all been there. But I, I asked that because, but it seemed like for you, the combination was very pivotal, and yes. the, your faith didn't. Well, it wasn't an obstacle for therapy. It was like you know what, I need therapy and I need my faith, mm-hmm. and that was important. Right. Yes, absolutely. Um, because I can remember when I first, you know, addressed it to my parents. I'm like, look, I want to go to um, therapy. I, I know I'm going to need it. And like I said, my, my father is a pastor. He didn't question it. He didn't, you know, nothing. He just said that was fine. He he knew that I needed to get whatever I needed to, you know, in order for me to have that that healing journey. So there there was no questions asked, um, no rebuttal, none at all. And they were just supportive the entire time. And they still are. That's great. That's great. So. We, we acknowledge it. And now for the steps of healing or resources, I did look into the Butterfly Mentoring Program. And when I read into the description, of course, it says teaching girls the importance of boundaries. Can you elaborate on that when it comes to teaching girls the importance of boundaries? Um, well, when it comes to boundaries, um, it's when you think about it, it's really something as simple. It's something as simple as one, two, three. But I think as we become adults and as this new generation come up, we kind of forget that kids should have boundaries where they have boundaries. Because if we do not teach them what boundaries really are, such as who's allowed in your in your space, you know, something simple as that, then they're going to grow up thinking that anyone can touch them or anyone can say anything to them and they don't have the right to say no. But 
teaching kids at a younger age what it means to have boundaries is so, so important. And it can, you know, it helps in the long run. Like no one didn't teach me about boundaries, at least not in a clear way. Um, I think we kind of feel like kids just grow up knowing you know, what their boundaries are, what the limits are, but it's mm-hmm. just teaching them simple things such as saying, you can say no. If this makes you uncomfortable, you can say no. If you don't want anyone to hug you, you can say no. And even when it comes to parents, whenever you have your kids and you're taking them over to um, like family gatherings, do not make them hug somebody that they don't want to. Like I, I never, I never understood why parents would say, "Go give such and such a hug." That's your uncle, or but no, that <laughs> that is right. right there is letting them know that they don't have boundaries at an early age. But that is so important because, like I said, it teaches them. Like, look, if I don't feel comfortable around certain family members, then I don't want to be around them. And that that opens the door for them to tell you if they do feel uncomfortable. So boundaries is important. Allow kids to set boundaries when it comes to, you know, their personal space, their their body. Because even though they are a child and we are adults, they too still have boundaries. The same way that we wouldn't want anybody up in our personal space, we should think about how a child feels. That's true. And all when, when it comes to and you're right, because especially in a community where it's like that Southern hospitality. Right. You know, that's mm-hmm. your so and so. That's your uncle. That's that's whoever. Um, but most but according to statistics, a lot of victims is someone that's close to them. So you're exactly right. So you have to be mindful of that. Now, of course, and, and the most infamous storyline going on right now of course is this ongoing r kelly situation even though everybody knew about allegations for years mm-hmm. but one thing that i thought was interesting in all of this was that his brother which is carrie kelly they did he did say that their older sister molested both r kelly and him when they were children mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought that was very interesting. Not to change the perception of what what he's right. being allegedly done, but I, I, you know, I, the background of it to me was like, who knows how deep this is? You know, right. like how far mm-hmm. back this been? Like now, we, now we probably got to go back into the religious side. Like if this is like the spirit that's like being passed down, like this this. Mm-hmm. Curse, as I say, you know, for all intents purposes, the generation curse. So the reason why I brought that up is because you have men that has had events like this when they were children, like they were actually abused as as children. But for men, you know, it's, it's a different dynamic a little bit when it comes to mm-hmm. expressing themselves. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming in your journey, you've met other survivors. I would assume you've met male survivors as well and if so have they talked about the difference and how they had to handle things or their different struggles in dealing with it i have met male survivors and as you said it is a totally different dynamic um most of the male survivors they're not as open about it as as um women are which i completely understand because you know as a male the the stigmatism that comes with it as far as you know a man that was raped as a child is like I said, it is to- a totally different dynamic but as far as the male survivors who have opened up to me you know they did express um 
the things that they went through and why it's just so hard for them to even talk about it or even approach the subject. And most of the time um, when male survivors are speaking up about it, like I said, they're not as open. It's not on an open platform such as, you know, how I am able to. And, you know, and I like I said, I completely understand it. And and I always tell people you do not have to share it with the world. Um, I think the, the important thing is just being able to talk about it with someone and whether you choose to do it on a, a large platform, okay, but if not, still okay. But with the male survivors, it is totally different. And, and it also appears that there aren't enough support groups for male survivors. You, um, th those are some other things that are expressed by male survivors because we have so many platforms, organizations uh, where you have you see the women, they're all coming forward and you have the support for the women, but it's not much support for the male survivors. But there is one particular organization that is you know strictly for men and it's, um, it's called One in Six and that's for the statistic where say one in six men have or will be a victim of sexual abuse. But mm -hmm. there is a um, organization, you know, designated just for men. But it is it's so sad how um, as a society, they how people look at male survivors, they 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 don't view them the same as a, a, a female survivor. And it sh and that shouldn't be the it shouldn't be the way that society looks at it. But that's what happens. Um, it's just it's so different. And my heart goes out to all male survivors. And, you know, I, I appreciate those who have been able to open up to me about it and those who are willing to share it, because I know it's not an easy task. And if it's not an easy task for women, I definitely know it's not an easy task for, for men either. You think based on the climate now with these movements and being more and people are being encouraged to speak out, you think that's going to change for men in the, in the near future, hopefully? Hopefully it will. Um, but it's going to take it's going to take more support, though, as far as like um, and, and maybe it's going to take more men supporting, you know, the movement and supporting that uh, and acknowledging that it happens to men as well. Because when 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 males feel like they have no support, then you know they're not gonna say anything. They already don't want to say anything because they feel some type of way. They feel like their their manhood was destroyed, or you know they don't want to be seen as um, as a sissy or or even you know gay. Mm -hmm. But I mean that's not always the case. Uh, things happen. Uh, these things happen to young men, and just because it happens to you doesn't make you any less of a man. I know. It, they may feel like that, but that is not the case. It's just you were just a victim. But it's gonna, it's definitely gonna take the support of more people, more men, and in order for you know more males to come forward, they're gonna have to know that they are supported and that they are believed as well too. I agree. I think a huge part of that is perception, which seems like you were alluding to, because that's just for. A, a child like a child and another male like a, like a basically a male abuser but even mm -hmm. if it was a woman abuser right that's still looked at totally mm. different even it though it's, is. it is it's, it's still childhood sexual abuse but it's still looked at completely different and actually because i brought him up the Ugly actually mentioned that happening to him it was reoccurring for him he never thought to look at that as abuse um, media personality, Charlemagne the God, he said that's happened to him as well, or the woman, but he never thought to look at that as abuse because right. the perception is different. Um, 
So it, it, that's one of the things we have to break down is the perceptions and stereotypes of it. Um, going forward, though, you end up being executive director of One Touch Transformation. So not only did you have the courage to speak out, but you decided to use your voice to help others. So how did One Touch Transformation came about? Well, once I finished with counseling and therapy, um, I did some volunteering at the PD Coalition, which is a rape crisis center for sexual assault and domestic violence. And um, I enjoyed doing that, um, just being able to help other victims and give them hope. And so once I, you know, my term ended there, I felt like that it was still something I needed to do. I felt like there was more that I needed to do. And I, I just knew that I could give, I can give hope to others. And so I started the, the nonprofit just to show other victims and survivors that healing was available for them as well. And it was just me simply going around sharing my story and going around talking about the awareness part of it, what we can do as a community and um, as a church, as a group, as a people, just how we can, you know, prevent these things from happening just by simply having the conversation, just by talking about it, being aware of it. And it's just so important to continue the conversation and not, and not letting it just be, you know, one time conversation, but this is something that has to be ongoing in order for us to, to continue to raise the awareness as well as prevent these things from happening. And so that's why I, I tried to get as much training as I could so that I could continue to let the community know. And my, one of the main things I wanted to do was get to the churches because I knew this was definitely a conversation not going on in church. So with me, with me being a pastor's daughter and having an organization, I was like, okay, well, this will be a sure way where I can get into the churches, uh, you know, because we got the PD coalition and other organizations that are working within the community. But this conversation needs to get into the church. And so that was like one of my main goals in which I was able to have a few events at a few churches in the community. Um, it, it wasn't the, <laughs> the most popular event, of course, because it's still a problem having this conversation in the church. In some churches, um, leaders don't want to talk about it. They don't want to acknowledge the fact that it's happening. So it still was a struggle even getting that, <laughs> that conversation in the church. Mm. But I also just wanted to just use my voice, like I said, to raise awareness and help as many people as I can. And, you know, even with the butterfly effect, just trying to start this conversation early on because we didn't have, you know, our generation, we didn't have these conversations. Not, not like that. Um, most of the time it was swept under the rug or you heard things in the wind and, you know, stories were all chopped up. You just knew uh -huh. something happened, something wasn't right. <laughs> right. But um, I, my goal was to, you know, look, we're going to talk about it. Um, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just a conversation that needs to be held. And like I said, it would prevent a lot of these things from happening if, if only people would just have the conversation. Right. And the fact that you mentioned that there's actually a I think the show, I think the series ended. I didn't finish the series, but for what I, the little I saw, like the series Greenleaf, there's actually a storyline mm -hmm. based on that, I believe, where the uncle right. molested, I believe, both daughters, I think it was. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, I thought it was important for that to be put out there, right? Because sometimes, even though it's, it's, been, it's, always, it's always been in our face, I think 
through ways of entertainment, whether it's a movie, whether it's a series, sometimes those things can trigger something into you to really acknowledge mm-hmm. hey, this is an issue. Um, and one of the things that can really help is acknowledging the signs. So I'm seeing here in your, as I read at the beginning, stewards of children, darkness to light, where you're recognizing the signs of child abuse. Can you share some of those signs that people can be aware of or something that as it may be as a parent, as a older sibling, anyone, a loved one can look out for? Yeah, sure. Um, but do know that every child does not show signs. Um, I didn't really share um, show any signs to be, if I think about it, um, because none of my family knew of anything that was happening to me. So there are times when children will show no signs. Um, but a few common signs that I can share is um, if if you have this particular child who's usually vibrant and full of energy, you know, just loving life, and then all of a sudden is the complete opposite. They're no longer showing interest in the activities that they used to do. Um, they're just depressed, showing, you know, just signs of depression, just all of a sudden when they're just doing, if they did a complete 180, then there's a possibility that something have occurred. Um, another sign is an, um, if a child is begins uh, wetting the bed, when you know that they've never wet the bed before, but all of a sudden they're wetting the bed, then that could be another sign. Um, most of the signs is going to be in their actions. So if you know that this person or this child it's normally not like that, then you may need to, you know, have have the have a talk with them or have someone have a talk with them. Um, even children who are all of a sudden promiscuous, they they have to learn it from somewhere. They have seen something or someone has done something to them, showed them something. So anytime you see kids that are just being promiscuous, just you know, kids do not just come out acting like that. So nine times out of ten, someone has either you know, performed an activity on them, sexual activity, or showed them um, sexual activity. There's a lot of times you, you know, especially in our community, and I used to get so tired of hearing this, oh, that girl is so fast. But Mm -hmm. how did she get like that? Somebody had to show her or do something. And so that's that's another thing that our community has to get out of the habit of saying, and you know, talking about young girls like that. She's being fast. But there's a reason why she's fast. She just didn't come out the womb being fast. But those are uh, a few common signs and, you know, to look for. But that uh, that one about where a child is going completely the opposite, then something has occurred, you know, mentally, emotionally. That's something you want to look out for. Got it. And to add on to the the fast statement, which seems to be a pattern, but that's a very realistic example. The whole Mm -hmm. that person must be fast. I feel like to add on to that, black girls that are teenagers or going into the adolescence have been sexualized enough. And yeah. that, that that's came back and haunted us even with missing missing girls. Because there's always the you could be the same age, but you're you're looking at these girls as adults and there's less urgency whether it's rescuing them or mm-hmm. just listening to them because it's like, well, Sometimes it's that whole vibe of maybe they weren't the most well-behaved child, and now that comes into question with believing their their story of right. hey, this is what right. happened to me. And I think as a community, we have to 
trust ourselves and support ourselves before we allow other communities to respect us in that same light. That's want to add on to that. Mm-hmm. I agree. So I, I actually didn't, didn't have this written down, but I believe I saw this on social media. Don't you have a book coming out as well? Yes, I was um, a co-author part of a compilation called Shade No More Pain, released and set free. We released it last month, and it was myself along with 10 other women who shared our traumatic experiences, just a small portion of them. Um, So it is available on my website at um, arthenius.com if you're interested in purchasing and reading my story and the story of other young ladies who have endured, you know, similar experiences. But it was just an opportunity for all of us to, you know, come together and share how we've all overcome, you know, such traumatic experiences. So that that was an awesome awesome project to be a part of because it was my first time actually putting my story or a portion of my story on paper. Uh, it's, it's one thing to talk about it and share it vocally, but putting it down on paper, I, it seems like it comes alive, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> and so um, while it was an, enjoy- an enjoyable um, experience, it was also tough. It was tough. It, it took me a while to actually just get it down because I would start and then stop because, like I said, it just it just felt more real whenever you see it on paper versus just talking about it. <laughs> right. Right. I get that. And when I post this, I'll be glad to um, share any links um, and, and definitely get that information out as well. OK. <laughs> so when it when it comes to I know we spoke about the victims themselves, but if we can shed some light and help them break in this cycle for the loved ones around, um, mm-hmm. what's advice for them? Like maybe someone who may be dating a survivor who's, who struggles with it. Cause some, everybody's way of dealing with things are different and mm-hmm. some people can take offense, right? Like, like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be there for you, but you're, you're not wanting to speak about it. You're not, you know, and, and sometimes it can be a very sensitive thing. So what's your advice on that? Whether it's someone that's dating a survivor or someone who's just a close friend, what's your advice to them on how to, to help heal the person? As a supporter, um, you do have to be mindful of the things that you say, the questions that you ask. Um, I will say if there's a website it's called rain.org and I'll give you that too, R-A-I-N-N.org. And it gives you some helpful tips of how to be a supporter. But um, just based off of my experience, being a supporter, it means just being a listening ear, not forcing them to talk about it, just letting them talk on their own time. You don't want to force them to do that because it's putting the pressure on them and it's making it even harder for them to even talk about it. But only, you know, allow them to speak when they want to on it. Um, I will say encourage them to get help, encourage them, whether it's um, with with counseling or therapy, uh, let them know how important it is to talk to someone about it because that is the only way that their journey can actually, you know, begin. And so just being a listening ear, just being there. Sometimes you don't even have to say anything. For me, I just wanted somebody there. They didn't have to say anything. They didn't have to, you know, nothing. Just being there, physically there and uh, mentally there, just knowing that you're there to support them, it will, it will mean a lot to them, trust me. But number one thing, do not force them to talk about something that they're not ready to do. But do encourage them to get help. Got it. And that's something actually for me personally, I, I need it as well. I actually had some people that, even though I knew them from years, 
they actually revealed to me about something that transpired when they were younger. And it was, I, I, I pride myself on being that person that was a lending ear to anyone and great cheering people up. But it, how, what, you, what could you really say to that? That's how I felt. And right, any right. type of clarity would help because everybody responds differently because one person who revealed that to me, they mentioned that one time I asked, hey, have you stole? And they did tell me they, they told their parents about it. But since then, they haven't really brought it up. And I've been afraid to, brought, to bring it up. You know, I said, okay, I mean, I, right. I'm sure it still affects them, but I don't know what to say, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so yeah. I guess it might be a good I guess a good thing is to pass along resources, maybe, maybe if you're more right. confident. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, yes definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so, you don't want to do more harm than, you know, than good or, or put them in a place worse than where they are now. So, um, but like I said, that the resources, what I gave out the website, it gives a list and, you know, pages of things that supporters can do, the right questions to ask them or, you know, what not to say. But um, if you check out that website, it, it's helpful. Got it. So on this last stretch, we're actually going to do a little bit of, well, I'm going to brag for you. So if you do not follow <laughs> Arthenius, she is on her Zumba fitness. She is on her, you know, <laughs> built, 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 not bought movement. She is hitting that gym hard. How important is oh it to find that that empowerment through other success on your journey going forward? Is that very pivotal, helpful to you, like to have those kind of accomplishments? It is. Um, it makes you feel, and it's not so much that you're trying to. Not. I. Don't, I don't really want to say you're trying to. Um. How do I want to put it? As far as like with the fitness, I wasn't really looking to um, accomplish no, you know, no medals or no, you know, championship things things like that. It was just something that makes me feel good. So when you find something that makes you feel good, feel free and that empowers you and build your confidence, then it, it makes your journey even better. Um, and for me, it's been exercising and the whole this whole fitness journey and bodybuilding. Like I've been enjoying it because it, like I said, it makes me feel so free. When it comes to Zumba, when I'm dancing, it's like no one can tell me anything. Like I do not consider myself a dancer at all. But when I'm doing Zumba, I am the best dancer. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. I was like, she keeps saying in these captions, she's not no dancer. But let me tell you, when I saw her going to work in the videos, I was like, yeah, she's she's feeling good. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it's all about. Just finding something that makes you feel good, makes you feel free. And as you continue, then, you know, I guess the accomplishments, they will come. Not that you're really looking for any accolades or, you know, but you're doing it for you. And it's like I said, it's just being it's been so freeing. And I am loving 
my training sessions. Um, this is my first week I took off because I'm on vacation. So I took a vacation from the gym, but I still been exercising because it becomes addictive. And right. <laughs> right. but I've just, I've been enjoying that because it just it just mentally and emotionally it makes you feel good. It you it releases stress and you don't have to worry about anything. You just you're just making yourself feel good. And so that's important. Yeah, that's that's great. I think it's like that self confidence. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think what you were trying to to bring to light is I didn't do this for that, but right. in its own way, it's kind of, it's like a collateral benefit of some sort. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Perfectly said. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's great. So I'm, I'm definitely gonna post all these resources, and of course, and I know a lot of us from because you know we went to the same alma mater, um, yes. collegiate wise. Shout out to France Marion University. A lot of people know you for singing as well. So um, has singing has been. I'm sure you've as a songwriter, you've had to put that pain into song, into words as well, and the melody has that helped as well therapeutically or not really. It has. Um, I can't remember when I first started my healing journey, I stopped singing. Um, I lost the passion for it. Mm-hmm. And, and and that was natural, which I didn't understand at the time. And, you know, I used to wonder when I was going to get it back. Um, it was just something that I, I, I just didn't have the drive to do anymore. And, and it was so shocking and it was really hard for me to understand. But... Um, maybe about a year after my going into my healing journey, it slowly started coming back. And after that, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to get back to it. So it's like, I had to take a pause from it to, to, I guess, focus on more so on my healing. And so once I got to the point where I was able to get that passion back, then I was like, okay, I'm ready. And that's when new songs came along. And that's where the butterfly song came from. And the butterfly song, mm-hmm. it talks about the whole transformation, how, you know, God created me to be the butterfly because we know about the whole transformation from the caterpillar to the butterfly, which is what prompted the name for One Touch Transformation. Um, I associated the whole, you know, the touch from the caterpillar and the healing part into the butterfly. And so when I wrote the butterfly song, it, it kind of depicts the whole picture of, you know, that whole transformation, how even though my past was ugly and hurtful and broken, I still was able to become the butterfly that God saw in me from the very beginning. And so that was that was helpful. And like, like you said, it was therapeutic. And even now, I'm still I'm still singing. Uh, I picked up the guitar just to see if I could play it. <laughs> I'm no pro. Believe me, I'm no pro. But um, I just wanted to see if I could do it. And, you know. I do enough to get by. <laughs> right, right. I do, and I have seen posts on you in the studio, so I'm assuming new music is coming out very soon. Yes, new music is coming up soon. Um, I haven't been able to go as consistent as I want to because I have, I have a lot going on, so I have to take my time, which is, I'm okay with it because there's no rush on it because I want it to be right. And so I, I have been working on some new music, and it probably won't be, more than likely, it probably won't be until of next year when everything comes out. Okay, well, we'll be looking forward to it. Our is we definitely, I say we, like there's more than one of me, right? I definitely <laughs> appreciate 
<laughs> you coming on to this very pivotal episode. Um, when I actually mentioned about this episode to certain supporters, they knew it was going to be a huge episode. And I definitely felt like you were the perfect person to speak on this. And this is a generation curse we've been trying to break for some time. I think we're getting closer to it. And that's we're not far along as we want to be, but I think we're slowly right. taking the steps towards that with these movements. But we have to understand that it's not going to be an overnight change. It's not going to be um, a recovery overnight. As you mentioned, it's going to always be mm-hmm. moments where it's going to be good days and bad days. But right. you are one of the many testimonies that people can use to inspire them. And I, w- I would love to assist in that journey any way possible, whether through this platform or other ways. But for people out there that wants to reach out to you and really get a good idea of the next step, whether they've spoken out or whether they're still struggling, can you provide your social media or your website to them? I sure can. Um, if you want to follow my organization, we're on all social media platforms under One Touch Transformation on Facebook and on Instagram and Twitter, underscore O-N-E-T-T. And our website is O-N-E-T-T dot me. That's O-N-E-T-T dot me. And my personal social media platforms, I'm on all three, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just type in Arthenius J and you'll find me on all social media platforms. And my website is Arthenius.com. So feel free to contact me if you have any questions, um, even when it comes to speaking events. Um, I know everything is done is being done virtually right now, but uh, I've done a few Zoom videos through singing and through speaking mm-hmm. on sexual abuse. So please feel free to contact me. All right. Thanks again, Ardena Jackson. And this is another episode of The Message is Moving. And I'll hear from you all later. It's beat.